Thank you, Jonathan. Good evening, Bethany Community Church. My name is Pastor Scott. I'm the pastor of Bethany North. I'm uh, super privileged to be here this evening. Uh, We had a unique morning uh, at Bethany North. We got ready for church. We worship up in Shoreline at a high school, and we kind of roll a big semi-truck in, and and we've done this for years. We got there this morning. There was no power, emergency lighting only, and so as we went about setting up in the dark, we actually had to cancel our worship services. So I pinged your pastor, and I said, hey, Richard, I worked all week with you guys. You know, any way you can loan me the pulpit this evening? And he said, yeah, why don't you bring the evening word? So uh, honored and humbled to be with you this evening. Uh, Richard is not only my boss, he's my pastor. Every week we get a chance to study together and write messages together. And uh, this evening I'm really excited about the word of God to share it with you. Uh, it's in your pew Bibles. We'll be talking about Philippians 2 in the New Testament version. It's page 154-155. I'd love you to have your Bible open because we're going to look at the entirety of Philippians 2. And you have those intriguing message notes, uh, those of you in the room this evening uh, from Pastor Richard. Just set those aside because we're working off a diff- different outline. I've got a message for you this evening from Philippians 2 entitled Shine Like Stars. And we'll be talking about the glory of uh, Christ living in us people We're going to look at these four values of unity and purity, vulnerability and authenticity, all coming through the text tonight as we look at Philippians 2. And I believe with confidence that God has a word for you this evening. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord God, thank you so much for the chance to be uh, gathered here in this room this evening. We pray now, Lord, that you would open our our ears and our, our minds and mostly our hearts, that we would engage this text in new and profound ways. Lord God, we know that this room right now here is full of many stories, young and old, uh, rich and poor, left and right, and Lord, we come together in unity tonight under your scriptures, under the authority of them. And so would you teach us uh, to think like you, Lord, as your presence dwells in us. In your name we pray, amen. Philippians 2, shine like stars. Philippians 2, one of the great things I love about Bethany is that for 100 years, this church has had this radical commitment to what we believe in. And long before I was a pastor, and I started Bethany North, I'm a lead pastor of Bethany North for the last seven years, but I was, I was just like you. I was just a congregate at Bethany Community Church. And one of the things that made this church so important for me was the way in which the Bible was taught from a very authentic place. See, I had been raised kind of near the church, but I hadn't given my life to Christ until I was almost at the end of high school because there was this disconnect from the stuff that the scripture said to the way it was lived out in people's faith. Like I I saw people that believe certain ways, uh, but I didn't see them behave in those those same ways. And there was this disconnect that I I was really, really reacting to. And it was actually through the ministry of Young Life when a leader kind of embodied the gospel of Jesus Christ that I saw the faith become real. And as I ascended to this belief and the spirit of God lived in me and I, I, I realized there right before my 18th birthday that I wanted to give my life over to Christ, this text became the most important text to me. This Philippians 2, this like if anything is true, then make, make my joy complete, Paul writes, in, in unity between spirit and purpose. And I didn't even fully understand it then, but what it meant to me was that this was good news, that the stuff we believed would affect the way we behaved. And I was hungry for that kind of authentic faith. See, because the reality is, for many of our churches in America, is that we kind of descend oftentimes into not what we're for in unity, but what we're against. 
There was this article at the beginning of the year that uh, David Brooks, Brooks wrote called The Retreat of Tribalism. And in it, this was the January 1 New York Times piece, uh, Brooks quotes a 1995 French philosopher by the name of Bruckner, where this, this writer, French guy, Bruckner, wrote The Temptation of Innocence, in which he argued that excessive individualism paradoxically leads to, to an in-group, out-group tribalism. And so, modern individualism releases each person from social obligation, but being guided only by the lantern of our own understanding, our individualism loses all assurance of a place, an order, a, a belonging, a tribe. And so, left to our own lantern of understanding, though we've got this heightened individualism, we don't really actually shine with any light at all. We, we were all kind of clinging to our own light, and we often retreat into very tribalistic thinking. And so, tonight we have this, this new vision from, from Paul in Philippians 2, God's vision, that, that, that the Spirit of Christ would take us from individuals clinging to the lantern of our own experience, and instead, the light of Christ would live in us. And Paul says here in this verse, would actually make us shine like the very stars, in one body, one faith, one communion in Christ, that we're, we're, we're more than just what we're against, that, that in our radical commitment to the center of Christ being in us, that the very light of Christ begins to make us shine, like, that's good news. Don't you think so? That's good news. It's not just about me and my lantern and what I can figure out, that in a commitment for Christ's light, living in me, my light can shine through Christ. And so the heart of the message this evening is that God's glory and joy is a gift that can only be found once we release God's spirit into every situation that we dwell and that when we clutch and we grab and we, we kind of get tribal, that, that we become these kind of black holes of kind of sucking energy and we start to grumble and we get disconnected from God's best life. But when we, when we kind of empty out our purpose and say, Christ, would you live in me? We're able to have a, a glory that only God can fill us with. And so I want to look tonight all the way through Philippians 2 with this is crazy, beautiful, uh, entire chapter, one of the most Christocentric letters of Paul, one of the most Christocentric chapters, I wanted to look at four specific opportunities for more joy in our life, through unity and purity, through vulnerability and authenticity. So let's look here first at this joy found in unity. All month long, we're talking about Philippians in this pursuit of joy. Joy will be found, Paul says, in a commitment to unity Hopefully your Bibles are open because we're going to be looking at them this evening. Uh, look at Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness, if any compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, or as the NASB says, of purpose. One in spirit and purpose. Paul posits this philosophical challenge here. It's, a, it's an if-then. It's called a, a hypothetical imperative. If you want something, you must take action. And at a level, this book is, is, is written to a church struggling to find joy. If you really want the joy of the Lord, Paul says, then you're going to have to take some steps. And he says, the joy will be made complete together, together. This you, if you have any encouragement in the first verse, is a plural. It's, it's you all. It's everyone. 
It was written to a group of people gathered in a house church, and Paul's saying, as you gather together, make joy complete together in community. And this is for me when I ascended my, my life to Christ as a 17-year-old. I didn't even get it. I thought it was just about me because I was raised in this hyper-individualistic context that, you know, oh, as I believe in Christ, that my spirit, my purpose, I don't have to have my church friends or my school friends. Or my, like, I can just be one. And the freedom of not worrying who's looking on at me and that freedom, when, when I don't care who's looking at my phone or my computer, my, it, and it's, it's not about perfection, it's just about unity. But I didn't even fully get the call that Paul was saying, this happens actually as this is lived out, the Spirit of Christ is lived in you together. Paul harkens back to Psalm 133, how good and beautiful as believers to dwell together in unity. But of course, church, we, we understand we're so fragmented today, even between Christians, even between people that have been Christians for a while, people in see we're, we're a fragmented population. We, we, we often are not aligned on what we're for, we're known for what we're against. And so the, the challenge here is to fight against the fragmentation and find unity in Christ. And Paul says, as you empty yourself of your own agenda, as you let it go, as the Disney song says, let it go and find purpose, not in what you're against, but in, in who you're for. And when you stand with others, you'll find community in your unity. You'll find a purpose in what we share in life together. Now, but I, I want to warn you, there's a difference between uniformity and unity. That we'll often use those words interchangeably. There is a difference between uniformity and unity. Now, unity is, is us gathering together from our shared common center. It's saying we're not known by our boundaries, but our radical center point of Christ. It's why this church for 100 years has been known for this radical commitment to Jesus Christ. And it's beautiful. And we don't always get it right. We don't always get along because we believe different things. We vote different ways. We march for different things. But if our, if our center pointed in Christ, there is unity to be found. But uniformity is when there's these external pressures that we must all agree on our fence line issues in order to have some sort of relationship. People seeking uniformity, it's, it's destructive because we're kind of constantly deciding who's in and who's out. No, but the scripture said is we align around this, the center point of Christ, then it's an invitation to belong for everyone. Are you willing and hungry for the light of Christ to shine in you? We can find unity. We can march even for different things and have very different philosophical uh, uh, conversations. But if we're aligned on the center point of Christ, if that's the radical commitment and the hyper-focus, we can be unified. The book of Mark talks about a divided house can't stand. And the church in Ethiopia has this, has this kind of proverb they share that threads united can tie even a lion. This week I was studying through devotionally the book of 1 John. 1 John 4, 11, it says 11 and 12, this beautiful verse. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, 1 John says, God lives in us and is made complete in us. And so unity to Christ becomes the glue to hold our covenant together. That's beautiful. That's hopeful. We don't see God, but if we love one another, if we do this work of the commitment to the center, that we can find common ground, and then God will be complete in us. Like that's, that's so hopeful for those of us hungering for more of God's light to live in us and more joy. 
And that means that there's this, there's this commitment to what we share together. Many of us, we look at our faith light as, as less of a covenant with our community and more of a contract. Like we'll find a church or a small group or a, a group of people in your dorm or you know, in your workplace that are you know, aligned around the scriptures and you'll show up for a while in a contractual obligation, but when it gets weird, and it's gonna get weird, like we just start to piece out a bit. That's a, that's a contract. Like, you know, as long as everything is comfortable for me, then I can participate here. But what Paul is saying is something different. He's talking to these, to these people in this church and saying, you, you need to belong together. And it's, it's more of a covenant than a contract. You will fail one another. And if you're constantly bailing when you're disappointed, you will constantly be alone. Now, find joy together in unity for, for the sake of Christ saying I give myself to a community of people as a commitment and I don't know if you're in Seattle for just another six months or another two years but you can belong here in this church you can get involved I, you know I, I'm going to be leaving when my graduate program's done or I'm you know I got one more year like we can kick the can of commitment further and further down the road but you belong here so make a home here and make a covenant with other people to study God's word together. Like you need each other. But most of us kind of live as if, you know, we're like Lone Ranger faith people. No, we are called to be in unity one to another. All the lead pastors of Bethany, we went down to Amazon campus at the end of December to just to study what we can learn from one of America's, you know, fastest growing companies right here in Seattle. It's a fascinating, you know, kind of tour and at one point, the pastors and our tour guides, who are Bethany attenders, we kind of met in this conference room and hearing what Amazon was doing and tens of thousands of new employees and innovation, and it was deeply encouraging. And then one of the pastors just asked, what do you need from the church? Like, how can we bring the gospel to people of Amazon? And, and you know, there was this moment of, of thinking. And then, you know, this Bethany attender, diehard Amazonian, they just said, you know, really a lot of us are just really, really lonely. Tens of thousands of new employees at one of the greatest, fastest growing companies, you know, like, but people feel alone. We are called to belong one to another. So get involved. And I don't know if you're here for a little while or a long while, but find a home here at Green Lake and get involved in relationship. Good joy will be found in unity. Unity is the first word I want to give you. Let's look at this second word. Joy is found in, in vulnerability. This comes from the next eight verses, and, and Jonathan read it for us, verse three through 11. I won't read it again. Joy is forged by vulnerability. Ultimately, Philippians 2 is this call to act. That's what the end of chapter one, remember, conduct yourselves, that you'll represent what you believe and how you act. And so Philippians 2, it's like, all right, well, how are we supposed to act? Remember this, you know, this letter was to this Roman colony, many of them ex-soldiers. And so Paul has written from jail, he's written in this letter of joy. All right, you know, it's, it's going to be this, this action. What's the action word of Philippians 2? Joy, joy forged by vulnerability? What? No, this was totally, totally foreign to, to, to Roman people. Humility was not a virtue in the ancient world. A, a virtue in the ancient world was honor. It was a shame and honor culture. And never before, before the teaching of Christ, was, was vulnerability be lifted up. You would never be vulnerable because people would exploit you. They would destroy you. No, it was a shame and honor culture. Everyone was about having honor. 
But then Paul kind of cuts across this and, and says there's a challenge to your citizenship, the, the counter to the Roman rule that was so, so just covert. He was saying, I want you to live differently, that the call to Christian glory is that you can be great when you're vulnerable, that you can be strong actually when you're weak, that you will be known when you're humble, when you're small, when you honor others. And you must start, says Paul, when you serve those closest to you. Because if you can't serve the people that God has already put in your life, how much harder it will be to serve others in a greater faith community? Now Paul's saying you'll be known in your humility. Because the way of the cross, friends, I'm sorry, but it destroys our selfie sticks. It does. It, it's not about us. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And, and oftentimes, those of us in Christian leadership, we can be so guilty of this because it's, it's kind of the, like, oh, you know, it's all about the gospel. I, I, uh, I was speaking at this thing, and so, you know, I went to the room, and I'm, I'm, like, looking at my Bible and my notes, and then I do the Instagram, like, and, like, the Bible just so, the cup of coffee, the view of the water. I mean, it was gorgeous. You had to see it. You know, one of those, like, oh, just hanging out here, just Instagramming, and it's, like, and it's just, like, all stage, you know, like, oh, just super humbled to be speaking for this thing this weekend, you know, just, it's, it's all about God though, you know, it's all, it's good, but I'm just like humbled, you know, and, and uh, I posted on Instagram and then instantly one of my friends, Brad, who's a pastor about, he just, he just comments, hashtag humble brag. And I was like, oh, I did it. The humble brag. That's not vulnerability. That's just actually being stupid. <laughs> like, you know, it's not about that. Now, vulnerability, Paul says, what does it look like? It looks like Christ. Look at verse 6 through 11, this Christ poem. And some scholars said, well, we're not sure if Paul has written it or he written it in a different context and cut and paste it. It doesn't matter. This is where we get our, our command that joy is found in vulnerability. Christ, verse 6, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven on an earth and under the earth, and on every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is the way of Christian glory? For Jesus it was death. And so it's actually as we lay our lives down, God's saying, I can pick it up again. Like, I know you want your name to matter. I know you don't want to be alone. I know you want health. Like, the things you want, God says, they're good things. But as you clutch and grab and try to control your circumstances, you're actually trying to make more and more of yourself the star of your story. Let it go and be more like Christ as much as we can. Jesus would say in the book of Mark, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? And so the way to more joy in our life is living out this, this call to radical vulnerability that's gonna challenge us. Like I want to bring a message to you tonight that will deeply encourage you, but what God is actually telling me to do is to really challenge you. 
You're going to have to lay your life down if you really want to follow Christ. Each and every one of the gospels says, repent. The, heaven of, the king of heaven is near. Like, be different. Lay your life down. Like, stop clinging and clutching and humble bragging and be more and more and more forged by the glory of Christ. They'll be found as we become smaller and smaller, serving those in the closest proximity to us. Vulnerability forged and bring joy. I promise you. That thing that I was humble bragging, it was actually, I was invited to speak at Men's Malibu. It's, if men in the room, I'd really encourage you to join Eric and some of the guys, Andrew and others, that are going to Men's Malibu this spring. They're starting sign-ups now. It's an incredible time to grow as men of faith. I, could, I got a chance to speak a couple of years ago, and, and the organizers of the camp asked me, Scott, could you come and speak about vulnerability? It's like, sure, great. Like, I wasn't really excited, to be honest. I was like, can you give me something more juicy, you know, like anything? But they're like, no, we really want you to speak on vulnerability. I was like, okay. So the way this works is they have these seminar speakers, and there's a bunch of really qualified other men that are speaking, like, you know, and they've got books, and they've got legacies, and they're phenomenal, and they've got these great topics they're teaching. And so day one, they're like, you know, this speaker, he's going to be in this room where the seat's you know, 500 people, come and hear them, and, you know, all these different speakers, and then, hey, and Scott's going to be uh, talking about vulnerability. He's out in, like, Little Squawka 27, some cabin out in the woods. I'm like, is there even a cabin out there? This isn't a good sign, guys. Are you sure you want me to speak? Yeah, no, 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 and it's amazing, because, like, I was invited to speak on vulnerability, and I thought, I'm not sure any guys even care about this, you know, and so I go walking through the woods to find Little Squawk at 27, and, you know, I swing open the door, and the room, the room is packed. Nobody knows me. It's not, a, this isn't humble, but no, it's not about me. The room is packed because men are hungry to learn more about God's best life forged when we lay our own priorities down. The room was packed. My jaw dropped. So then the next day, they reorganize, you know, it's like, all right, we're going to put vulnerability in the big room today. And it was amazing, okay, because we're hungry for news of the gospel. Joy is forged with more vulnerability, okay? We got unity and vulnerability. Let's look at our third, you know, kind of imperative tonight, that joy creates purity. Joy creates purity. And I want to challenge you this morning. When you hear purity, it's, purity is not just the absence of sin. It's the presence of a new perspective. Joy creates purity. Purity. Look at verse 12 and 13 of Philippians 2. Therefore, my friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my absence, or not only in my presence, but now in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13 of Philippians 2. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's beautiful. If you have your own Bible, or a pew Bible, whatever, like 12 through 18 really should be underlined in your Bible. Star, like come back to it, draw an arrow, because therefore, work out your faith with fear and trembling, for God is willing to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's, it's beautiful. It's challenging. In the original Greek, the actual verbs being used is this thing called a middle voice, that in verse 13, that God is, is working and willing and acting and fulfilling, that God is doing these things for us, he's doing these things to us, and yet it's response to verse 12, that we're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. 
But that's kind of a passive thing. Well, how do we do that? No, it's actually the middle voice. And think, like Pastor Richard was talking this morning, it's like a game of tennis. And God is the, is the initiator. God is willing to act and to fulfill his will in us. But we're not just invited to watch on the couch. Now think about what we say often at Bethany. Take the next step. It's a game of tennis. And the ball's in your court. Now work out your faith with fear and trembling. For God is already the initiator. God is already speaking his word into our lives. And every one of us in the room this morning, every one of us online, our job is to respond and to step out and to grow. And we walk this line knowing that God is the full initiator of faith. God sent his son Jesus to live on this earth and die for us and, and to, to beat death and to ascend to heaven where he waits for us still. And it's, it's beautiful and then God's saying, and now it's your turn. Like, enter in. Step in. This is the rule of life stuff that we talked about all fall. This is why we read the scriptures. This is why we meditate. This is why we, we exercise simplicity and generosity, because we need to enter in. And the challenge here is that, that, that we are called to, to act we're called for our life to be lived in a radical yes. God, I've seen you act in my life, and I want to respond with every bit that I am. And when I blow it tomorrow, because I will often blow it tomorrow, God, I want to repent of that behavior, and I want to get back to playing for you. God, would you grow your faith in me? I want more joy. I want my life to shine. Would you, would you open it up? I used to be a high school English teacher, and when I taught high school English, one of my favorite units to teach when I taught in Los Angeles was about the transcendentalists and the kind of early American writers. And there's this beautiful poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And Longfellow has this, this poem called The Psalm of Life. And Longfellow, I think he embodies this kind of game of tennis, this, this 12-13 dynamic that God is willing and acting and fulfilling, but we're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In the poem, Longfellow writes, let us then be up and doing with a heart for any fate, still achieving, still pursuing, learn to labor and to wait. And that's the Christian life, that God has labored on our behalf and we're called to enter in into this dance with the, with the Holy Creator, laboring to make God more manifest in, in our lives and waiting for God to be growing in the soil of our soul. Learn to labor and to wait. And the seed, well, friends, it'll work. But Paul says, be cautious, verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing because Paul knows that obedience is an attitude as much as an action step. Obedience is an attitude as much as an action and grumbling destroys real faith. Like verse 12, verse 13, God will do it, you'll enter into it, but then immediately Paul says, do it without grumbling and so I've spoken in the affirmative to you that joy creates purity, this, this attitude, God, I don't want to have a, a soul and spirit. I don't want just actions of obedience. I want my attitude to be more pure. God, I know like the nation of Israel that when I grumble that my soul is destroyed. But when you have this, this, this ethos of more purity in your life where you're convicted of less grumbling, the purity grows, and the joy lives in that, and it's, it's beautiful. How do we know? Well, because Paul says in the very next verse that when you do this, you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. 
And so it's all connected. Our, our, our light that we cling to happens with less grumbling as we know that God is willing and acting for our purposes and we know that we must struggle with our faith with fear and trembling and enter into what God is trying to do for us. But man, that joy created by purity, it's, it's convicting because for many of us, that, that obedience being an attitude as much of an action is deeply, deeply convicting. It's convicting. Like, I ha- I'm, I'm married. My wife, <laughs> next year we'll celebrate 20 years because I'm old. And, uh, but my wife, she's, she's incredible. She's actually home sick in bed right now. And sometimes she gets headaches. And when she gets headaches, she's, I mean, not like, oh, headache, like, deal with, no, like migraines, like ER. And I don't know if any of you are migraine sufferers in the room or chronic pain. Like, my heart is with you. Because when you deal with chronic pain, it's really hard to cling to the hope of the gospel. But this woman, my wife, she has so much joy in her life. But sometimes she gets knocked out with these, with these migraines. And so we have four kids and we have jobs, and we, that just means that I gotta, I gotta step up and do stuff. Well, I confess that sometimes, like, I can give great sermons about joy created by purity, but I could have really bad attitude. There was this episode, I think it was in the spring, if I remember correctly, and I knew my wife was sick with a migraine and, like, re, like on the verge of going to the emergency room, and so I'm, like, scrambling around the house, taking care of kids and doing stuff, and my actions were communicating love and my attitude was a pile of horse poo and that's being generous all right so I'm I'm doing the stuff but my heart is really hard because you know I'm feeling sorry for myself about x about y about z and I'm I'm doing the stuff and I'm you know hey I'm bringing her ice packs for her head I'm bringing her tea and then I'm running doing stuff with kids and every time there I'm like here, here's your stuff. You know, I'm like speaking to her like a prison guard, you know, and like, here, you know, and she's like, she's knocked out. Like, I know I sound like a jerk, and sometimes I am. And so, um, you know, but obedience, I'm like, it's just an action. I'm just going to do the stuff. And so I go up, I'm like, all right, anything else you need? And she's like, you know, I, I need soup. I'm really sick right now. I need soup. I'm like, <clears throat> okay, where do you want me to get soup? Like, I'll go buy a can of soup. Fine, I'll drive, I'll buy the can, I'll heat it. You know, I'm, I'm a good guy, you know. And she's like, no, no, when I've got headaches, you know, the, the soup in a can sometimes can trigger it. So there's some um, broth in the freezer. If you can get the broth out, defrost it, cut some vegetables. All I need is just some broth and some vegetables. Now, if you're a caretaking person, this is a sensible request, all right? I was raised by Vikings. Like, we, I'm Norwegian. We don't get sick. And if you do, you go to a dark room for 12 hours until you're done being sick. Are you better yet? So I'm like 43. I have not learned how to be loving and caring. So I'm, I'm just that's playing my cards, all right? That's all I got. And so, you know, she's like, you know, the broth, the veggies, if you could just bring me that, I'm like, You've got to be kidding me. So I'm down there, and I'm, you know, I, the sad thing is, like, when our, when our actions are obedient but our heart isn't, sometimes we can't even see it in ourselves. Like, we can't even see how far we are from the joy of the Lord. But I'll tell you down in the kitchen, like, making it, like, there was nothing loving about my attitude. And so, of course, I, you know, I, I needed to be, like, checked for that. She had to, like, you know, we had, like, a big thing, a big conversation, I think you call it, you know, a conversation, you know, and I had to, like, repent for that. Like, yeah, I, I was doing the stuff, but my heart was really hard. I was, I was grumbling. No joy in the grumble. There's not. And so leave it alone. 
And know that the path to Christ that Paul says is about, is about honestly finding a purity of devotion one to another. Because it's not just our actions, it's our attitude. And finally, I want to give you this fourth word, this kind of fruit of, of the joy-filled Philippians 2 life, that joy produces authenticity. We've talked about unity, and we've talked about vulnerability, and we've talked about purity, because we're kind of speaking the affirmative. We didn't talk about grumbling. Uh, finally, joy produces authenticity. And if you're looking at your Bibles, there's, you know, if you're looking at Philippians 2, there's all this phenomenal teaching in verse 1 all the way through 18. Almost every single verse could be its own sermon series. And then there's this biographical stuff from 19 through 30. And if you're looking at your Bibles, this, from 19 to 30, it's kind of like, I guess the teaching's done. There's, there's a word about Paul sending Timothy and, and sending his other friend, Epaphroditus, uh, to, to the Philippians. And so it's just kind of this like, you know, letter writing. I was going to send Timothy, but he was sick. And then I was going to send Epaphroditus, and he was sick, whatever. But as you dig into it, I want to encourage you, friends, as a vision to the best joy-filled future in your life is to model what Paul says here is that you can live authentically. You can be a person of authenticity, you can be authentic. It looks good on you. How do we know? Well, Paul has this amazing stuff here in verse 19 through 30. Look at just verse 26 and 27. Paul writes here about Timothy and his other friend, Epaphroditus. Look at verse 26. For Epaphroditus longs for all of you and is distressed because he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died, but God had mercy on him. And no, and no one, uh, no one only to, uh, oh, I've I lost my place. I'm sorry. I was, my notes got whacked there. Uh, verse 26, I'm going to be authentic. I just lost my place. For, for Epaphroditus, he was distressed. He heard he was ill. Verse 27, indeed, he was ill. He almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. And I just want to look at that real quick here, verse 27, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. If some of you were raised in the church as I was, you don't hear a lot of sermons on sorrow upon sorrow. You hear a lot of messages about the joy of the Lord as if it's something that you'll just kind of achieve and attain out of your godliness. But Paul models here a very authentic perspective. What he's saying is that he was going to make some plans that haven't quite turned out. And he said that one of his friends was sick, and Paul says, I feel less anxiety now, but not zero anxiety. And Paul says, I, I need you to know you don't have to pretend that you don't hurt. You don't have to pretend that you're a robot. Paul's saying, yeah, there's this joy that's present, but when, even when I talk about Epaphroditus and him being sick, that if something would have happened to him, God would have, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. And so I'm going to send him to you, Paul says, but I need you to know that even as I send him, it's hard to release the ones that we love. It's hard to step fully into the work of God when honestly, many times, it feels more foggy than clear. And Paul says, even Paul, the great Paul, he says authentically that, that there's challenge in unresolved situations. As he's looking into the future, he's saying, it's messy at times. And I, and I want to send Timothy, and he was sick, and I want to send, like the plans we make, even Paul says, things don't always turn out as the way we've expected. But I will trust, says Paul, that joy is produced in authentic look of faith. And so church, be authentic. It looks good on you. 
And not just authentic and grumbling, like we're going to just keep it real and complain about things. Some of you have relationships where you keep it real and you're complaining about things all the time and it's stealing your joy. Now set the grumbling aside and be real with those closest to you and say it's, it's been a tough day. It's been a hard week. It's been a, a difficult season. And some of the plans I've made for my life have not turned out at all the way that I thought or they'd expected. But joy can still be present. And as a, as a follower of Jesus, I can be comfortable in, in happy situations. I can, I can pursue joy even in very lonely situations. Be authentic, church. Because the world longs for more an authentic look at Jesus Christ. And many of us raised near the church, it's like, man, vulnerability, <laughs> authenticity, no. Like, purity, that's something I'm supposed to do. But Paul's saying these are our attributes available to you when Christ dwells in you. That the very experience you want, you want a life of more joy, of shining like a star. It's present only in one place, in the presence of Christ in your life, who laid it down for us. Who laid it down for us. And so the action step for us, if this is going to become true in our life, is each and every day we say, God, may your joy be present to me. And may I be authentic with those closest. And I want more of this life. This is how we shine like stars, Paul says. I used to dream when I was in high school about being famous as an athlete or as a politician or, you know, whatever, and there was this season where I thought, man, you know, if I could just, if I could, if I could do more stuff or I could get this role or, you know, and it was, it was mind-numbing, this pursuit of people's expectation and gladness for my results. And it was only once I became a Christian where I realized that the, the greatest path to shining for him, it comes in laying my life down. And so church, may you be encouraged to set your life down at the feet of the cross, and set your expectations each and every day, like yearn for the best life possible, but trust God in each and every situation. May you find unity in this place. May you be vulnerable. May you check your attitude when you're grumble, because as we talked about, the, the purity is an attitude as much of an action. And may you be authentic, because the world is begging to see the light of Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he lives in you. And so may you say, even in my flaws, even in my brokenness, even in the places where I've, I've let the world down, Jesus is still my Lord. And when you have that perspective, people will look and say, that's a person that shines. Will you pray with me? Lord God, thank you so much for this church this evening, this time. And we pray, Lord, that this teaching would take root in us, that we'd be changed by this, this command through Philippians 2 about being united with other people, about a spirit and a purpose aligned, Christ, on your dwelling presence, and that the glory that we seek is found in one place, Lord, and laying our life down at, at the foot of your cross. We're so thankful for the new life you've given, and may, may the fruit of it be joy in our life. We're thankful for how you've met us here this evening, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. It's a wonderful